Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Now, January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, a month dedicated to raising awareness about the different forms of human trafficking, also known as modern slavery, uh, and educating people about the crime and how to spot it. And every January, we celebrate the efforts of anti-trafficking organizations communities of faith, state and local law enforcement, survivor advocates, businesses, private citizens, and everyone and anyone who is all working together to put an end to this horrific crime. Everyone can play a role in putting an end to human trafficking, especially nurses. With improved victim identification, medical and social services, training of first responders, and increased public awareness, we all can put an end towards human trafficking. Today, I'm joined by Pamela Glenn, an academic coach for Walden University's College of Nursing Tempo programs. She is a certified nurse midwife and someone who has spent several years educating other healthcare workers on how to effectively screen patients for relationship abuse, as well as human trafficking. She's going to talk to us about not only why it is critical to screen all of our patients for human trafficking, but how healthcare professionals can do so and do so effectively. Please welcome to the show, Pamela Glenn. Thank you, Alice. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you, someone of your knowledge, your expertise. But Pamela, let's just jump right into it. So okay. January, uh, let's begin with the name of the Awareness Month, National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Uh, for some people, when they hear this, they may feel uncomfortable especially with the term slavery that by law should no longer be existent, should not be happening, but right. there's a modern day version of it, which we refer to as human trafficking. So can you explain to us why people might feel a little more empathetic towards the word human trafficking, uh, knowing that this does still exist, but feel so uncomfortable when the term slavery is accompanied with it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's absolutely worth exploring. I really can't speak for how other people might feel about this. Um, possibly it's due to just the word slavery in our culture in this country, you know, has been taught as far as what the United States has done years ago in, um, you know, uh, taking people from their homes and families in Africa and having the slavery issue that happened here. But for myself as a human being, as a clinician, it's really important to face the reality, uh, to really get to the heart of what is really happening and happening right under our noses, frankly. Um, I think it's important to face those realities, no matter how harsh they may be, uh, because then you can really truly effectively deal with it. Um, and I believe there's power in naming something for what it is. And human trafficking is a type of slavery. Uh, and that's a fact. Thank you for explaining that to us. 
Now, when it comes to human trafficking, who are the people that are most susceptible to becoming victims and how does this happen? I mean, even in today, you know, it's 20, it's 2021. Right. How why is this happening? Yeah, that's also a good question. And I appreciate uh, being able to answer that. And there are a lot of different groups that are vulnerable and it can range from runaways to homeless youth, um, people who come from countries that are unstable, maybe due to war. But many traffic victims are right here in the United States. In fact, the majority of victims in our country were born here. And I can uh, talk to that a little bit more in more detail in a bit. Um, but poverty, extreme poverty can make people vulnerable, uh, disabilities, but also childhood abuse, including childhood sexual abuse um, can make people vulnerable. Um, I do want to point out, and I want to take that as an example in a moment, but I also want to just touch on the impact of COVID. As we know, and I'm putting it very simply, it's had a huge economic impact, people who've lost their jobs. So those are a whole nother group of people who are vulnerable to trafficking in these very challenging times that we're living in. But if you take uh, for example, let's take a, a young child who's been abused in their home and sexually abused, and you think about their mindset growing up, and maybe the, the sexual abuse has happened by somebody that they love. So it becomes a very complex uh, relationship, situation. Um, their boundaries have been so violated. And I don't like to overuse the term PTSD, but it captures uh, so much of probably where their mindset is. So then you take this person who becomes maybe a young teen and they run away because of the situation. Um, statistics have shown that traffickers who are very sophisticated in their strategies can pick up these young vulnerable runaways within 48 hours of them leaving home. And they often uh, befriend them. There's different types of traffickers. There's the, ki the kind that are more charming and befriending and manipulative in that way, as opposed to what's called the guerrilla traffickers that really are, are more physically abusive. But let's say this person gets picked up by a trafficker. Mm -hmm. They don't know that they're a trafficker. This person befriends them, offers them shelter, clothing, uh, and then the trafficker begins to groom them as well. You've described how these abductors can be very charming, some of the character, the, the stark differences between the abductors, but how does that initiation process actually start? So the example of you know the young uh, runaway who's maybe been sexually abused, um, and then gets befriended by somebody who truly is a trafficker, but you know the young person doesn't realize it and gets pulled into the life as they call it. Um, the trafficker often will then uh, recruit them, maybe expose them to pornography, start to groom them, um, and then manipulate them into the trafficking situation. Um, but there are other different situations out there as well where sometimes people have been sold um, by their their parents, their intimate partners um, to be trafficked. And sometimes it's done innocently where, where a trafficker uh, comes to a family maybe that's extremely poor and living in poverty and has promises that they can help their young children have a better life, get educated, have a job. But what the parents often don't realize is in some of those situations, this really is a trafficking situation. 
Um, but just to also point out that part of the confusion that can happen is that often victims don't even see themselves as being trafficked. They've formed this bond. Um, this person provided them shelter, clothing, food, when they had run away from an abusive home. And so there's a bond there and they often actually um, then get pulled in to trafficking because of that bond. Um, abuse happens, the psychological abuse dynamics happen, you know, the person gets isolated, so the abuser has more power and control over them. But then um, the abuser, or the now in this situation, the trafficker, uh, mm -hmm. may begin to degrade this person, um, threaten them, maybe threaten their family and children, depending on the situation. They bring shame into the situation as well, try to shame them that they're in this situation. Um, the trafficker may also introduce alcohol or drugs um, as a way to, again, have control over this person and uh, keep them then in the trafficking life. You know, I'm, I'm just listening to you describe that. It sounds like some of what we hear a lot with domestic violence. Exactly. Um, you know, when the, the abuser is trying to isolate their their victim to you know disempower them and to exert yes. control over them so yes. i see a lot of similarities there yes. now along those lines you talked about again kind of this developing this bond is there you know i, I heard that there is this something called a trauma bond right so you know, if you could elaborate a little bit on that and then other you know on top of that some of the physical and mental results of human trafficking and being, you know, someone uh, in this situation. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I sure can. You know, when I, and I had done a lot of work in the area of relationship abuse, and that's what actually led me to this whole area of learning more about trafficking and screening for trafficking in our patients' lives, because there is such an overlap. And the trauma bond is a when I learned about the trauma bond, it helped me to understand exactly the complexity that happens in these various different relationships. So the trauma bond is an unhealthy bond. Uh, it's based on intermittent cycles of fear, but interspersed with very small moments of pleasure, so to speak. And when you think about it, human beings are, we're created to form attachments. That's really important for us to survive. Um, and the bond between a victim of trafficking and their trafficker is highly abnormal. It's highly unhealthy. Um, but the victim needs the trafficker to survive. So as horrendous as the situation may be, the trafficker occasionally does something nice, does something that helps that victim. And the victim soon learns that to survive. Um, they need to have this bond with this trafficker, and then they hold on to those quick little moments of maybe uh, kindness or pleasure, so to speak, uh, despite the horrendous uh, situation that's going on. Sounds like a very unhealthy, toxic relationship. Now, you know, when we when we hear the term human trafficking and the term slavery, really, certain images come to mind. So, yeah. for when we say the word slavery, many people think of um, blacks who were taken from Africa, um, brought to the United States on a boat and, you know, forced to work in fields, do labor, you know, serve as housemaids. And then when you hear the word human trafficking, 
uh, sometimes, many times the images that pop into our head are, right. you know, young girls taken from their countries to serve as sex workers. Yes. So, so what are some of the common stereotypes that occur with human trafficking? Yes, excellent. I think there's a few different stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes, just to say, it's, you know, we're human, we all have stereotypes, but it's like having the blinders on and it keeps us from seeing the reality that somebody in front of us, a patient in front of me, you know, who doesn't quite fit the stereotype I've had in my head might be that person who's being trafficked. As a clinician, I need to think through what is what are the stereotypes I've held about this, take them out of my brain as best I can so that I can understand that this can be happening to anybody. So oftentimes we think of them as young girls, but trafficking happens to males as well, young boys, transgender, all the different different groups out there. Uh, so we need to stop thinking about that as just a f that females are being trafficked. Um, as you started to mention, sometimes people, I think, think, oh, the victims of trafficking are just coming from foreign countries. And that is certainly not the case. Uh, the numbers vary study to study, but 85 to 90 percent of people trafficked in this country are born in the United States. Um, so we have very high numbers um, right here under our noses that are being trafficked. And I would add, I think the other stereotype is, well, it's not happening in my community. And again, that's having the blinders on. I live in a suburban area and guess what? It happened just down the road. There was a massage parlor that was being set up and it was actually a trafficking situation. Um, but it's right under our noses. It happens not just in the cities, but also in the rural areas. There are all different forms of trafficking, obviously sex trafficking, as well as labor trafficking, and it is happening everywhere. Right, and you raised some good points. And I'll say this, as, as nurses, as frontline healthcare workers working in clinics, you know, whenever we see patients come in, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, I work in ER, when I see uh -huh. someone clutching their chest, saying that they're having pain, I jump right away to they might be having a heart attack. You know, right. so in certain situations, that has been helpful for us to serve our to serve our patients, but not all the time. We really need to take the blinders yeah. off, as yeah. we said, and think outside the box because, you know, again, these are people who are not just young girls, right. sex workers, but these could be, you know, men, transgender people who are being forced to take jobs that they wouldn't otherwise want to take and you know they can't leave so i think this conversation is very timely it's important for us to really understand what human trafficking is what it looks right. like because we probably based on the statistics you share see this more often than we realize we yes. don't you know we this is happening in our own backyard not yes. you know I mean, here in the United States, in our communities. And I think if we as nurses are more familiar with what this is, and, and I'll say some of this is probably an uncomfortable conversation to have at first. So that's the first step. Yes. You know, having these uncomfortable conversations, confronting these, these, these stereotypes and things that we just really wish never existed, but we have to confront these ugly truths to right. get to a solution. Yeah. So... I want to uh, expand the conversation a, a, a little bit more. You know, you talked a little bit about what the aggressor uh, looks like, you know, what people, what victims of trafficking might look like. But let's say I'm, I'm taking, I'm in the clinic. I have 
someone that's in front of me that I'm seeing for the very first time? What are some of the signs and symptoms that nurses might be looking for to be able to identify if someone might be a victim of human trafficking? Because I know in my personal experience, we do screen for domestic violence. And uh-huh. I'll say this, we probably don't do a good enough job. We ask one or two questions that's on that computerized mm-hmm. checklist that it kicks out to us. But yeah. I think that we could do better. Yeah, uh-huh. um, But I think it starts with also us being also able to identify what are some of those key signals or red flags that right. I need to know as a nurse. Can you tell yes. us what this might be? Yes. So I think to begin, thinking about the emotional impact of human trafficking, thinking about the physical signs. Um, The emotional impact can be things like depression, PTSD, anxiety. Sometimes patients dissociate because they're trying to cope with this horrendous situation. They may be chemically dependent. And as you know, it's so easy to label people as, oh, she had he or she has a drug issue. But trying to say what started that? What's the bottom line of what led to all of this? Um, As nurses, as clinicians, I think we have to be doing our jobs and saying, okay, this patient is sitting in front of me. Um, They're not going to come in necessarily and tell me exactly what else is going on in their lives, but let's dig deeper so we can really understand what's happening here. So looking for those um, emotional uh, impacts of human trafficking, the physical signs of human trafficking, and trafficking impacts every body system. Um, And there may also be signs of torture, of injuries that have not uh, been taken care of. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes traffickers have their own quote unquote doctor who's not a doctor. They try to sometimes keep their victims from accessing healthcare. And so you may see injuries that were never really uh, well taken care of. Um, but I, it's my firm belief that all health every member of the healthcare team needs to be trained because the front desk staff may pick up cues. Maybe uh, just as in abusive relationships, maybe the the person is um, accompanied by somebody who's hovering, who's talking for them, who's holding on to the money, who's holding on to all the documents. Um, Those are some great red flags to pick up on that the front desk staff can pick up on and then pass on to uh, the nurses in the back that, hey, this needs following up. Um, Sometimes uh, victims have a fear of of our our medical uh, staff and yet they're there. And there was a smaller study done. It wasn't a large number, but I do want to point out that uh, in that study, um, almost 88% of trafficking victims had accessed and had contact with a healthcare provider. um, And about 63% of victims had accessed an emergency room. So we need to use that opportunity to dig deeper with all of our patients and check in and, and see you know, is this uh, a trafficking situation? Questions, of course, need to be done in a non-judgmental way, finding ways to have conversation, help that patient feel safe to talk about whatever they need to talk about. Um, oftentimes, if they're accompanied by somebody who wants to keep control of that situation and make sure that victim is not disclosing that they're in a trafficking situation. 
um, but a creative way in trying to get that victim off privately is to, to say, you know what, we need to get a urine sample. And usually no one questions that. I learned that trick long ago. And then you walk that, that patient down the hall to get a urine sample. Usually that person accompanying them will not follow. And then you use that as an opportunity for your screening questions. And screening questions, you want to start with, you know, just very simple questions. Um, hey, tell me about where you live, how many people live there, what kind of work are you doing, what are your hours like? And then you can get into more detailed questions that are focused to trafficking. I'm glad you're, you're sharing this information. Now, I, I've been a nurse for um, over 20 years, so I, I have a lot more experience with talking with patients and asking these similar types questions yeah. in those very, you know, those situations. I can only imagine maybe a newer nurse who uh -huh. hasn't had a lot of life experience might struggle with some of those questions. But that this actually reminds me, and I can think of a, a very an example in my head. There was a young woman I was taking care of. She had multiple children and there was a gentleman who accompanied her who wasn't mm -hmm. her husband, but was hovering, just hovering yes. like I could barely, you know, get yeah. I, the bathroom and even still he stood outside the restroom the right. only time we were able to get him out of the room was when it was time to do her pelvic exam long story short that was someone who was abusing her had her in a relationship that she yeah. didn't want to be in and we had to initiate and get authorities and i can remember my heart beating very fast uh -huh. it was very, you know emotions were high and yeah. so and i you know it's it's just what happened that day do you have any tips for nurses or nursing students who sure. find themselves in a situation there where, you know what, they were taking someone's vital signs, they stumble mm -hmm. across some information that the person's sharing with them. I suspect that they might be either an abusive relationship or a mm -hmm. victim of trafficking. What do yeah. I do next? How do yeah. I not blow the cover so that the, you know, the person, they, they leave the office right away? What, what should I be doing and how can I do this to help the person that's in front of me? Right. Excellent question. You know, when I've done talks over the years on screening for relationship abuse in the healthcare setting, and then because of the overlap, I've done uh, the talks on screening for human trafficking. And with both, I think it's important, especially as uh, somebody new asking these questions for, you know, maybe the first or second time, I think it's okay to acknowledge and say, hey, I'm going to ask you a few questions um, that I ask all of my patients. Um, and if a patient starts to disclose, I think it's absolutely okay to acknowledge that, hey, as a clinician or as a nurse, I'm human. Um, I'm feeling uh, a little sad about what I'm hearing, but I'm here to help you. I don't want to make the conversation about me. It's about me helping the patient. So making sure they know this is a safe place for them to disclose what's really going on in their lives, what's impacting their health, and also sending the message that if that patient is not quite ready to make a change, I respect that. I want to make sure they have resources. It is my duty as a clinician and as a nurse to make sure they know the danger they may be in so that they can make a good decision and that they know we are there for them even in that moment if they're ready to make a change right then. Most of the time, patients need time to process this. And us uh, as nurses screening for these issues, we've done our jobs. And I always say, I think about the drive home. We sometimes think about, you know, 
our day and did I did I word things the right way? Did I did I really get through to that patient? And if you've tried and if you've asked those questions and if you've provided re uh, resources and given them the straight scoop on the danger that they might be in, but you've also kept the door open that they can feel safe to come back to you when they're ready, then you've done your job. So asking the questions, you have done your job. I'm so glad you said that to ask the questions, because I think that there's also for some people, there's this philosophy of, oh, well, the patient didn't tell me anything. They didn't say anything. Yeah. And I think sometimes people want to cry out for help, yeah. but they are more afraid of, you know, potential consequences from their abuser or their, their captor that they're afraid to even ask for help. So it's very important that yeah. we as nurses and clinicians make sure to, again, provide the information, ask screen by asking the questions, yeah. giving them information and leaving that door open. That is so yeah. important because that person may come back to you a yes. week, the next day, a week later, yeah. even if it's a year later, right. that door is so important. Now, what if I am a, a clinician who you know, I, I do as much as I can do at work, but I'm very passionate about this. I want to help, you know, move the needle on this. I want to help end human trafficking. Mm -hmm. right. I want to be a victim of this, whether it's a male, female, transgender child, yeah. no one should. Are there things that I can do or involve myself in outside of my school, outside of my hospital or outside of my clinic? Yes. I think it's really important simply to talk to people we know about the situation and just make it part of our everyday conversation so that the awareness can spread because it is there, it is out there. And we just need to, we need to look at this with new eyes, all of us, everyone in the community, we all need to look at this with new eyes so that we see it. Um, but I also think um, putting energy in legislative efforts, in education, um, having resources, not just for the victims who are trying to, you know, we need resources for them when they're trying to get out of the life so that they can build a new life. We also need resources and education to prevent people from becoming victims. I think we also need resources to prevent people from thinking it's okay to purchase another human being for sex trafficking. Let's start in the schools. Let's start in the middle and high schools where we can talk about our culture that sends continuous messages about sexuality. And I would even put out there um, toxic masculinity type messages um, that need to be dealt with so that people realize this is not okay. This is not a choice by the victims, even though the victims at times, because of their situation, might think that they're doing this for their trafficker. It's a big manipulation. Um, I've been privileged to be involved in a, the Breaking Free organization here in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the work of an organization or part of the organization called Men Breaking Free, where they do day-long trainings for men who have been arrested for purchasing a human being. And when the approach has been taken that we want to talk about how did this person get there to think this choice was okay, let's talk about our culture. Let's talk about what masculinity, for example, means in this situation. And again, males uh, can be victims of trafficking as well. Um, but what happens at the end of the day when there's been open conversations, overwhelmingly, the men who have attended 
have had their eyes open themselves and not realize that this wasn't a choice of the victims. They didn't understand what was going on behind the scenes. So we need to do much more education about healthy relationships, but also what's truly happening in these trafficking situations so we can prevent people people from becoming victims and we can also prevent the demand and have people understand what is really happening behind the scenes when they're thinking of, that it might be okay to purchase somebody, which is, of course, not okay. Right. Not okay at all. And, you know, you've been a great resource. I mean, you're very knowledgeable. Your school is very lucky to have you. And I just want to say, because why well, I went to school a very long time ago, I've been a nurse for 23 years, so you can just imagine, but I don't know that we talk about this enough in, in nursing school. I'm just going to put it out there. It yes. sounds like this is something that doesn't necessarily need to be its own topic, but woven into every yes. single body yes. system that we do, every yes. clinical encounter that we have should be, that should be happening. Um, yes. Any recommendations for nurse, you know, for maybe the educators um, or administrators at schools? Absolutely. Um, and that's why I've been so dedicated my whole career to providing presentations on how do we effectively screen for relationship abuse, because it's not just, you know, I'm a, I'm a nurse midwife. It's not just the OBGYN clinic. It's every aspect of our healthcare system, every member of the team that can be screening for this and helping to address it in a healthy way and help that, that victim, as well as human trafficking. It impacts our health. It impacts our communities. It impacts us all in so many different ways. Um, and it does need to be interwoven within, I, in my opinion, all of the nursing curriculum, all of the medical education curriculum. Um, and to not do that, I think, is, is a disservice. It's a disservice to our professions. It's a disservice because we're really not doing our jobs and trying to get to the heart of the matter of what really might be happening in our patients' lives. And that's what we're all about. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.